Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the TV shows of 1999 from the bottom being here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. And with us today is the man who actually popularized The Sopranos, <laughs> Alan Sepinwall, late of the Star Ledger, currently of the Rolling Stone, if I'm correct, right, Alan? Yes, <laughs> but the, but let's talk about your days at the Star Ledger, where you were where you were you were the 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 preeminent Sopranos person, right? Like, did, the, did, was this the first show that you did uh, episodic for? Or no, I did episodic okay. in college for NYPD Blue. That's sort I of how that. I broke into this. <laughs> wow, I, um, you know, Alan. I mean, for those of you who don't know, Alan Sepinwall invented episodic recaps for NYPD Blue in college. <laughs> No, a guy named. Tim, <laughs> I, I, I would love to take credit for everything you guys are giving me credit for. A, a like math professor named Tim Lynch invented recaps for Star Trek. I read those. I'm like, oh, that's a thing you could do. And then I did a friend, my nice. PD Blue, and eventually Sopranos, etc. Right, Tim Lynch. Come so, on. Uh, it was Alan. <laughs> I do have a. I do have a, a question for you, Alan. Yes. In terms of the the Sopranos, and in terms of your coverage of the Sopranos, I was not privy to this. I lived in Canada, as our listeners know, so I was not privy to sort of the uh, the Sopranos in the same way that you guys were, which is why I'm very yeah. curious to hear what you guys. So, 
This show premieres January 10th, 1999. Did yes. you see it previous to the premiere or how did that I work? did? I did. Okay. Cause you know, I was right. I was writing TV criticism for the star ledger with Matt Zoller sites. He mm-hmm. actually did the more intense coverage of the first three seasons. And then I took over after that. Cause okay. he, he, he watched it a little before me and called dibs and, <laughs> you know, and I resented the hell out of him for three years. And then he got burnt out and gave it to me. I'm like, really? You're going to give up on like, you know, being the like the rock critic in Liverpool when the Beatles yeah. are playing the cavern or whatever. Sure. So, yeah. Um, but I saw it and like, clearly this was going to be a big deal and it was a huge deal, especially if you were writing for suburban New Jersey newspaper. I'd grown up the town next door to the town where Tony lived, the town where, where David Chase grew up. So like, I knew all of the landmarks, all the places they were going and yeah, people went crazy for it. What is the town? I mean, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know the answer to this. What is the Tony town? lives in North Caldwell, New Jersey. All right. So I re- I always thought, and I, I knew it wasn't, but I always thought it was West Caldwell, where my cousin currently lives. He's a cop there. Yeah. So he's a real New Jersey guy. But so it's North Caldwell. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Pinebrook, which is technically adjacent to West Caldwell. But like I kind yeah. of think of the all of the Caldwells as Caldwell, the same thing. Right. Yeah, West Caldwell is when Tony B starts start setting up the massage yes. parlor. It's because exactly. I remember the guy. I remember the Asian guy. It was like West Caldwell, West Caldwell. Yes, and that was that's in the exact spot of Book World, which was my favorite independent bookstore growing up. Caldwell. By that point, it had gone out of business, and so they were able to use it as the set for the massage parlor. So so interesting. So my 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 parents are uh, South Orange and Springfield. Yeah. So my cousins are you know, Tenafly and and now the West Caldwell. And so this is my this 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 is you know I'm I'm Westchester. Yeah, we had a different we, we had different mobsters in Westchester, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they all, they live next door to me. Um, but this is all right. So so Alan, let's talk a little bit about you. You grew up in, in as you said, in, you said Pine Pine Brook Pine Brook. Were you aware of any uh, actual mob uh, influence in your town or your, no. your neighborhood? No, no, no. Uh, Pete Yorn, the musician who also grew up mm-hmm. in my town, he I, years later, he told me about some like shady stuff in the music scene at the time. But I was not aware of anything. I was an oblivious kid, like reading my comic books and watching my shows. Did you didn't get a sense that there were some some kids who had some nicer vehicles or some... <laughs> So, I, a, a ton, a ton of, a ton of people who are related in your in your high school, but right, the, the, the one thing related. I will say is there was a development that went up in our neighborhood when I was like thirteen, fourteen, and all those houses were vastly nicer than the ones we lived, and they were two blocks away, and one of them allegedly belonged to the guy who like had built his fortune on the pizza boxes with the the cartoon of the pizza chef tossing the dough in the yeah, air. Sure. And the people are like, well, he only did that because he was connected. So maybe <laughs> there was that one guy. Can I ask a question, an ignorant Canadian question for a second here? Uh, why does New Jersey have so much of a mob component? Is it is it just a New York adjacent thing? Is this a geography thing? Is there... Is is it as prominent as this show makes it sound? I, I genuinely don't know the answer to these questions. I mean, the thing you got to think about is a New Jersey is an incredibly densely populated state, and so and at the you know at the earlier times, at the time of like Tony's father's heyday, like Newark was a big thriving city. 
Okay. Trenton was big throughout, you know, Jersey City. So there, there was these big urban areas in the same way that like Providence has a mob, you know, that they've, you know, Whitey Bulger was from Providence, right? I believe. So. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think there's definitely like a legacy of that. I couldn't speak to whether the mob was quite as active in North Jersey by the time the show came on. But David Chase has told me and Matt stories over the years about like wise guys he knew and sort of events that he witnessed or heard about that got incorporated into the show. Well, I mean, I, I would add to that. If you think about the geography of New Jersey to Alan's point with, uh, with Providence, yeah, the entire state borders the Atlantic ocean. <laughs> and if you think about what the mob tends to, um, control or seize control. Yes. No, well, I mean, the, of course they're the, the disposing, but I'm not being glib. Yeah. I'm saying it's the opposite. It's the importing. Oh, it's, right? it's how of it's it. how easily. Yeah, yeah it, it is controlling certain ports and the importing of whatever they need to import and controlling those unions. So in and, and, you know, obviously the gateway to New York as well, which, you know, made a, made a lot of sense. So I think that's why New Jersey has had this kind of storied history with the mob. That being said, there are mobs all over, all over yeah. the country. And we've done so many movies. I mean, even, you know, even the one we just did into deep takes place in Cincinnati. You know, obviously it's not a mob, it's more of a gang, but mobs gangs are the same thing, uh, ultimately. And um and yeah, so they're they're all over. But yeah, I do think that, that that controlling what comes in and what comes out of the country, I think it's the same reason why, you know, Miami has always been a hotbed for this kind of stuff. Sure. Um, getting stuff That's, in and out. Yeah, of I mean, I, I it is interesting because, you know, very early on in the podcast, Kenny, we did analyze this, which was sort of the uh, which which came the funny out funny version the funny version of this which came out a few months after this movie after this show premieres yes. um, despite the fact that the people I think think it's the other way around um, I, it, it is interesting how this show drastically changed people's perspectives of the mob I would say um, in terms of the I mean it it does feel like a bit of it I mean obviously there's something like forty seven cast members of the, of goodfellas that that course around the sopranos <laughs> so like it's yeah. not as though that's not a part of it but but it does feel very sort of i mean I, I there's a there's a quote here that um that i found of from david chase where he said i want to tell a story about this particular man i want to tell the story about the reality of being a mobster or what i perceive to be the reality of life and organized crime they aren't shooting each other every day they sit around eating big ziti and betting and figure out who owes who money occasionally violence breaks out more often than it does in the banking world perhaps there is something very sort of real life about this show and about this series do you think that's one of the reasons alan that the show hit in the way that it did i think it did i mean it's definitely it's the first of like a lot of the shows that it inspired are sort of trojan horses i i don't really think it's about the mob or i really don't really think it's ultimately that interested in the mob it uses it because it's colorful because it heightens everything that's happening and i know there's definitely a lot of fans who are entirely into the mob stuff and the whacking but i think chase's main interest is to talk about like what it's like to be a like a middle-aged person in America at this particular moment, the state of society, the state of the world, all of these things. And so it's grounded not just in, in the mob stuff, but just like, you know, Carm Tony's having that big depressive episode late in season one, and he can't get out of bed. And Carmela comes in and says, I'm going to the sports authority to get sweat socks for AJ. Do you need anything? Like it's, he lived in kind of this very recognizable mundane world and that made him, despite the fact that he's a murderous sociopath, people related to him. And because he was played by James Gandolfini, people liked him. 
Well, it's Kenny, funny, I don't want to blow it, up your spot. It, it, it's the funniest show like, ever made. But okay, go ahead. But so you funny. texted me the other day so funny. about how the show really speaks to you. You're a, you're a father. You obviously you, know, you have a wife. You have kids. And I think that perhaps this show... You know, I, well, a little triggering, I, maybe, but I've, also hit a vein. It's not well. I, so I've seen the show in its entirety three times. This is you no. Know, I'm embarking now on a four three watch with my son, who's ten and who is uh, <laughs> doing it at ten. That's a bold move, Kenny. You know, he Alan. He just ran. Um, he ran Breaking Bad, and at this <laughs> point, it's at this point, it's over. So uh, this, I think, this, I think I would get the Felix Unger treatment if I like try showing my kid those shows. You know, my my, I mean, uh, the one thing I mean, there's so many things I'll give my wife, but my my wife was my wife was at HBO when the show was getting made, so she has a different kind of perspective on the stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, but that being said, so. For the most part, I mean, every we watch is different. You we watch the first time in, in college, and it's just it's 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 such a brilliant and exciting and vibrant show to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and the last watch, you know, the one I watched right before we had kids, so ten years ago, when my wife was on bed rest, we did a full re- rewatch. Was you know a very different one, and the one now, the thing I get really in the pilot because I watched four episodes this week. I, that's yeah. all we can get through. So sure. the the what I really get in the pilot, I wonder if you can relate to this, Alan is the feeling that Tony has that every single person in his life is just constantly asking for things of him. Yes. Everywhere he turns, it's Tony, do this, Tony, do that, Tony, I need this, Tony, I need that. And that is the feeling that I have as a father of four and person with like a job and, and, uh, you know, interests and parents it's it's always i need you here i need you there i need and and that was that was really the thing that i was like oh man maybe this is just about how difficult it is to be a modern parent yeah no that's entirely i think that's entirely right and i think the parenting stuff was often the best things there's the bit in i think early in season two where Meadow throws the party at Livia's house and then Tony and Carmela have this conversation like, how are we going to punish her? And it's like, if we take away the car, then we have to drive her to places. And oh. you know, if she realizes that, like, you know, we have no power, we're fucked. It's just it's there's so many bits like that. And I mean, I think that's one of the reasons Tony is drawn to Melfi is she's the one person in his life who is not asking for anything from him and is, in fact, trying to help him. He's paying her for it and he sort of can't, like, distinguish that from an actual relationship and that causes problems later but like she doesn't she's not trying to take anything out of him she's also the only person in his life that i feel like anyway he's close to being honest with like obviously he's not fully honest with her i i guess what i mean is it feels like she's the only person that makes him grapple with some of the real existential and and mental things he's dealing with well, when I did my rewatch a few years ago to to write the Soprano Sessions book, what I was struck by is like, that's sort of my memory of it. But you watch the show. He really tells her very little. And a lot of it's not just about the mob stuff. It's also just about like how he's thinking. And you watch it and she like she will try walking him up to a breakthrough. And pretty much every time he either like takes the wrong lesson from it or he just willfully shuts down. And, you know, just doesn't want to, like, grapple with the thing she's asking him to grapple with. Sure. So mostly what he gets out of the therapy is, you know, like Peter Bogdanovich says, he learns how to be a better gangster. 
But no, like he's he's really I mean, he's full of shit with everybody. But in, in some ways, he's most with her because she's the one he's trying to be honest with. And he can't even bring himself to do it yeah. there. Or he lashes out, uses the size, uses his, his you know, treats her right. the way he treats everybody else. I think that that's also I mean, I, I love this show so deeply. And, and as as I'm thinking more about it, you know, as I'm doing this rewatch now, why I love it so much. And it's because it it. In so many, I mean, so many reasons. It has such incredible faith in the audience mm. to understand what's happening two levels below. So there's so many shows that will have a, or show a therapy as a component that will have the therapist just spell out what's happening, yep. right? Which Melfi does to some extent, but that's never yeah. actually what's happening. There's always another yeah. level below that. So, so you, you are, you, these incredibly interesting and complex psychological and emotional ideas are, are introduced to the show, but that's not where the catharsis is found. There actually is never any catharsis in this show. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's so, the, the way they use therapy is so unique. Well, that was what I was, that was kind of what I was going to ask both of you guys in terms of what you think the show is saying about therapy and mental health i mean i i think the show is i'm not sure the show is really sure (laughs) maybe i'm wrong but what do you think alan i think the show is saying and i've talked about this with david a lot over the Mm. years it's not saying that change is impossible it's saying and i think this this is a direct quote from david it's very very hard and in life in general like it's easy to be tempted it's easy to sort of go back on things and tony is sort of both by nature and by nurture inclined to take shortcuts like he does kind of want to change you know he gets shot and he goes through his every you know every day is a gift phase and that lasts like an episode and a half and then he just sort of gets bored with it or it's it's frustrating to him and he stops he's ever was yes exactly and but like i think he's making an effort you see carmella is making an effort there's that when she goes to see the other therapist and he tells her like leave tony like you know i won't take your blood money get out and she kind of half thinks about it and instead decides instead, I will have Tony make a donation to Columbia and that's how I can assuage my guilt. You know, everyone throughout the run of the show is offered or most people are offered a chance to do something else with their lives on either a small or a large level. And nobody ever takes it or they try and they give up quickly. And I think therapy is a part of that, too. It's just you know because therapy is an attempt to sort of change the way you're thinking the way you're feeling and tony tries and it never really takes and and therapy is hard speaking yeah. from experience you 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 know it's a lot of you get what you put into it and i think that yes. a lot of people expect it to be perhaps easier that there's a pill or the whatever like there's a magic bullet that can make it all yeah. kind of go away and i'll make it better um so I, I i do appreciate that they don't make therapy easy in this show either so I think that's I think that's interesting. I want to just take a quick second just to kind of talk about the the TV landscape that the Sopranos yes. entered in 1999 and obviously drastically altered for forever. Um, yes. I you know, you know, Alan, you were on for for the West Wing pilot. You and Emily St. James talked about the West Wing pilot, um, it, you know, for quite some time, I would say for about four years, these two shows felt like the two bearing walls of television, right? Where yes. you had the old guard, we'll, we'll call the old guard the West mm-hmm. Wing in terms of just broadcast television, uh, perhaps, you know, uh, the best that it could offer at that time. Let's just say for argument's sake, right? And yeah. then 
The Sopranos comes in and and obviously just drastically changes the way television is is made, the way television is distributed, uh, the, the all of it. Um, I and I've said this to you, Kenny, on many occasions. I'm curious as to sort of what that felt like at the moment, because it must have felt like an earthquake or maybe not. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like I keep using the, these rock analogies in part because like David loves rock music, but it's it must have been like you're you're somewhere in the middle of the 70s and there's all this dinosaur rock and prog rock and these sort of big unwieldy things. And then along come the Ramones, along come the Sex Pistols. and You're like, oh, wait a minute. Like it can do that. It can make you feel like that. And obviously the Sopranos is not stripped down. If anything, it's much more elaborate uh, stylistically, thematically and everything than what the West wing was doing. But just in terms of like the attitude, the abrasiveness of it, the unwillingness to hold the audience's hand. I mean, it really is the West wing was the end of something. And the Sopranos was the beginning of something. The West wing was sort of like everything that television drama had been building towards since the 1950s was here is the show. It's very literary. It's very clever. It's very emotional. It's playing to a big tent in theory, you know, even though the politics were kind of left center. Um, It's sort of trying to do all these things. It wants to tell you how to feel in every moment. And a few months earlier, here comes this show that not a lot of people watched in the first season. I think that's why everybody remembers analyze this is coming first because everybody caught up on Sopranos before season two started. But here comes the show that's like, it it doesn't want to tell you what to think. It wants you to sort of figure out for yourself how you feel about things. Right. It's not going to explain everything. It's just going to sort of hurl you into the middle of it. Um, it's going to have this main character who is not an anti-hero. He's just like a monster. And maybe it's going to sort of slow walk you into him being a monster, but it's never going to like hide from that. So it's doing all of these things. It's breaking all of these rules that that we had been told our entire lives, television is not allowed to do any of these things. Right. And it did all of them, and it eventually became a really, really big hit. And now, obviously, you look at television today, and it's not all The Sopranos, because obviously reality TV started around the same time. But, like, in terms of scripted TV, even comedy, I think, is hugely inf- yeah. influenced by The Sopranos in different ways. Well, I think, you know, but, but yes, I want to speak to the the notion of the earthquake because okay. I think you're saying this, Alan. It it yeah. was not an earthquake in no. any sense. This was a slow rumbling. This was a slow building storm, if I remember correctly. Because so it it, it airs in '99. I'm a senior in high school. Nobody is talking about it in my high school, nope. right? This is not something that people were talking about. And on top, I mean. Partially is because HBO had kind of done things that looked like this before. Mm-hmm. So it didn't seem like HBO was putting out um, appointment viewing, at least on the drama side. Mm-hmm. So so that's part one. The other thing I would say about The Sopranos is it was the first real viral hit to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. It was the first thing that I remember people actually patching up on, on DVD. Yeah making a point of being like all right so this person says this person says it's good and this is before netflix too so people were buying the box sets and catching up on dvds i didn't watch a season of sopranos live until season four right so i caught up in college with friends uh i mean which is probably why i you know I have this this memory of Alan being you know the person who did it the whole time because because at that point i remember simmons was was um 
was linking to you and and you kind of grew yeah. around that moment with that with that same thing but it wasn't until season four when i felt like this has not only become appointment viewing but the country as a whole is understanding sunday night hbo is becoming appointment tv yep. it really wasn't getting that because because also you know it, people wonder why the wire didn't have any you know didn't didn't like kind of rise in its wake well there was no wake you know yep. And this is not anecdotal. You're talking about Kenny. Like the fourth season is the highest rated season of the show, which is funny because it's almost everybody's least favorite season of the show, including mine. But like that was around the point when the word of mouth had built and built and built and people, like you say, had the ability to catch up on DVD and they started watching it live. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, as as our listeners know, I was working in a video store at the time. And this was this was prime. Like this is when 24 alias Sopranos, all those shows are fine. I mean, we couldn't keep them in the store. They were rented constantly. People 24 were constantly, was another big, one you know what I mean? This, These big, that, yeah. big catch up shows. And I, and it's interesting. Alan, you talk about how the four season, you know, 13, just shy of 14 million people watch the season premiere of the fourth season. You know, the, the first season finale had five, right? So yeah. like, you're you're seeing how to to your point, Kenny. It's this groundswell word of mouth thing that is kind of brewing. Um, I guess when I said an earthquake, I, I mean you're you're absolutely right, both of you, in the sense that it wasn't an earthquake. The the question I meant ultimately is sort of creatively yes. as a writer. If I was a TV writer in 1999 and I watched an episode of The Sopranos, to your point, Alan, it would be. Wait, we can do this now? And I'm not trying to push back, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. you basically were a TV writer in 1999. And, you know, more or less, you, you were someone who's an aspiring TV right, writer. Right, You're right. in college for it. You know, the, it, it, it still felt like Sopranos and, to, you know, for my money, The Shield yeah. and The Wire yeah. were not things that people were going to, you know, get on board with that you still that these were still little like little islands that had you know that 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 were not archipelagos and were never going to be archipelagos you know they were just little things like the prisoner little things like you know these these little weird one-offs throughout history that you know twin peaks that people were excited about but never nothing ever came of them but it, it should also be said too that you know speaking of the old guard Speaking of not that the Emmys are a barometer of much of anything, but they are a barometer of something, I guess. Yeah. If you look at, you know, 99, top of 99, you've got the practice that wins uh, for 98. You've got the West Wing that wins for four years in a row until the Sopranos wins finally in season five. Yes. Um, That shows to some degree that the industry wasn't ready to let go either. No, and and even the media to a degree, like the first season reviews of Sopranos were pretty mixed. I, if yeah. I'm remembering right, the Times was kind of dismissive of it. And then at some point they realized during the season, the editors realized, oh, this is becoming a thing. And they got a different writer to do a piece that basically <laughs> right. like called yeah. it like, is this one of the great works of pop culture of the 20th century? Yeah. And that happened over I, the course of a season. I don't want to call you out, Alan, but I'm going to do it very quickly. Uh-oh. Reminds me, reminds me a little bit of what happened with Succession in season one, too. All right. All right. All right. I was going to say that before I remember. The- Guys, I have a hard out. We got to talk Sopranos here. <laughs> I got I to get out of here. No, I, I, I mean, I think there's I, I, I do think, though, in terms of the Sopranos, don't you think a little bit of it was 
I mean, the mobster thing too, right? I think yeah. people feeling like, have we seen this before? Yes. You know, and the fa- and the fact that there were all of those analyzed this trailers everywhere yeah. in the weeks leading and months yeah. leading up to the show premiering, you know, sort of again made people assume it was something else. And they even they put a joke in the season two premiere about that where like Melfi is not seeing Tony anymore, and he goes, he tries a new therapist, and the guy is very nervous. He's like, uh, I- I've seen the movie, analyze this, and Tony <laughs> like G- Jim Gandolfini is delivering like analyze this. <laughs> That's a comedy. That's, Come on. There's there, there's so many. I mean, one of the best yeah. aspects of this show is these guys have seen the movies and they love yes. the movies. Yes. It's yeah. that's so funny to me. Like where I've been watching with Rollins, he gets such a kick because we watched Godfather too, obviously, because I'm bad father. He gets such a kick <laughs> out of him out of all the Godfather lines. Yeah. But I like the you know wait, I'm I was giving shit say- to Paramount for not having them on DVD is is amazing too. The the Godfather so, movies is amazing. So where at that so, point it hadn't been out on DVD anyway. But here's the thing about about mobster movies at the moment, too. Yeah, uh, they were not cool. Like the no. mob was not cool. And I think Sopranos is, is kind of keenly aware of it. These are the first mobsters I've ever seen who weren't cool. These are these are, you know, kind of old characters. Now, there's something else that did this. And we talked about it. The mob and ghost dog, the mobsters and ghost dog are so much like the mobsters in the Sopranos, but they're taking a little more seriously in Sopranos. But the Ghost Dog and Sopranos are about the same exact thing. It's about how do you continue to be a mobster when yeah. being a mobster is so lame. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, it's yeah. not the same as it used to be. And then, you know, I think people have talked about this forever and ever. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot, Alan. It's, I mean, uh, the death of the mob as, as a analog for kind of the death of the American dream and kind of the death of a certain way of American life. Yeah. Um, I, I, think I, so I came in at the end. The best is over. You know, he, he spells yes. out the whole thesis of the show in that one line to, to Melfi early on, early on. In the, yeah. And then to have, and then to have not 11 happen during the run of the show is so incredibly like powerful to me too. And, Tony having to deal, you know, kind of grapple with these things in real time. He's so concerned with the mortality as is. He's so concerned about you, know, but also really concerned with, you know, being irrelevant. It's it's really, really powerful. And, and then to have the finale titled Made in America also just feels like it's part of this sort of, I mean, the, the show, I mean, I would argue it might be one of the most American shows ever, like in terms of just a real, uh, these characters just they just feel very American to me. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a judgmental or a derogatory sense. Phil, you can go back where you came from with that comment. You know, <laughs> you know what? I have a hard out too. Yeah. So I, go watch yeah. that. Go back to slings and arrows. Come on. I mean, listen, I, I, I again, the most American response to this question from both of you. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I, I do get out of here. <laughs> I know it's so just, great. I was watching. I was watching episode four yesterday with my son, yeah. and they're sitting outside the pork shop. And just because the sound design in the show is brilliant, someone in the background just goes because he he was picked up on it, and he goes, "So I told them forget about it." Rawls goes, "Cheer him, say that." He said, "So I told them forget about it." <laughs> it's so great. I also think uh, just to uh, piggyback on what something you were saying earlier, Alan, in terms of sort of the comparison between broadcast and what The Sopranos was doing, yeah. it was half the episodes as well, right? So from a production perspective, you're talking about these episodes. This was, I, I would argue, this was the first time that 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 episodes felt special and filmic in a way yeah. 
that obviously cable has ran with since then. Yeah, and I mean, I think we've arguably taken it too far where we're now down to like six and eight episode seasons and like <laughs> there's no time for anything to breathe. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about The Sopranos and like people keep forgetting this because they have this like version of it in their heads that is not the actual show is it's not super serialized. Most of it is just sort of like, here's a thing that happens in this episode. And yeah, like Richie April is lingering in the background and causing problems or Ralphie and Paulie are beefing. But for the most part, it's like a mob crisis of the week show. And every episode is sort of really handcrafted and you get to like live and breathe with the characters and really get to know them so that when you get to the end of seasons and big stuff starts going down and Tony grabs a pillow to smother his mom, like that matters in a way that it doesn't have. But yes, at the same time, 13 is not 22. And so there, it was much easier to do a bespoke version of the show than like, you know, David E. Kelly or Aaron Sorkin or Stephen Bochco could have done at the time. Yeah, it's I mean, I was I was reading all this stuff, you know, trying to do uh, research for this. And just every part of this show was so thought through, like David Chase, there was no you know, people are glib about television, as we all know. Uh, they think it's made very easily. Um, I, I don't think that they they think about this sort of attention to detail. And this was one of the first shows where I, I mean, even the credit sequence, which is just, you know, he uh, David Chase in an interview talked about sort of the making of it, and and um, and and I, 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 there were two quotes that I wanted to read from him that I think are really interesting. He said, "At one time, I wanted to use a different song every week for the titles to play over," and Carolyn Strauss from HBO said, "That's not a good idea." And She's I said, right. "Why is that? It seems like it's a really different, interesting way." And she said, "Because when a t- when a with a TV show title, you want it to be such that when people are in another room and they hear it, they go, oh, that show's on the air,' and they come running." And he was and like, "That, that yeah, was HBO's whole mantra with their throughout throughout all their programming." I mean, if you think about it, curb your enthusiasm. You can think of it immediately. Sex and City. You can think of it immediately. Even Entourage. You can think of it immediately. So yeah, yeah. it's it's and and Chase says. Uh, about other songs he considered. He said, Woke Up This Morning was the most interesting fit. There was Complicated Shadows, the Elvis Costello song. There was uh, We Have All the Good Times, Where Have All the Good Times Gone by the Kinks. Uh, and there was You Better Run by the Rascals. I think I just can't even imagine anything. I mean, obviously the song is so iconic now. But just, I mean, it, it is truly one of those shows where you hear the first couple beats of the song and you're immediately transported into the world of the show. It's unbelievable. And the thing is, I think the song's kind of crap. Like, I don't think it's a very good song. <laughs> it's not the best song. But it's and a very good, it's a very it, good it's opening perfect. title song. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, fucking where everyone knows your name isn't a great radio song. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but you know, these are, it's yeah. perfect what it does. No, I think for me, yeah. you know, it, 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 it has that same feeling as the, you know, when you're when you're in the theater and a Star Wars uh the the opening fanfare hits and Star Wars comes on yeah. the screen. It's that same like I am transported, I am transported back to two thousand and four, a summer of two thousand and four, summer of two thousand five, whatever, sitting with my friends and so excited for the what what the next hour is gonna bring. Um but I also I, I want to just say one other quick thing about David Chase, because, I mean, we'll, obviously we'll talk about him more. But I do want to say that his desire to want to work in film is yes. another thing that makes this show so great. It's hilarious. David Chase hates television. <laughs> like He made the greatest like television show of all time or one of them. And he really just like wanted nothing to do with it. He yeah, did, he didn't want HBO <laughs> to pick up the show. He wanted to be able to like get independent financing to expand it to two hours and take it to Khan. 
You know, it's like, even after he finished it, he's still like, I want to make movies. It's really, it's hilarious. But, you know, I think (laughs) to me, if you think about also where, to me at least, where HBO was in 1999, certainly not the destination it was now. The budgets were lower. The actors were smaller. I don't think people realize that James Gandolfini was not James Gandolfini. Right. I think people look at HBO, you know, lead, leading man, leading women casting of the last 10, 12 years and think, oh, they've always got big stars like James Gandolfini. Not even kind of right. Not even was, kind yeah, of this. They cast him off the, to romance, if I'm not mistaken. It was one of the big this, roles that they cast him off. Yeah. He'd, he was romance, he'd been in Crimson Tide, a couple right, of, you right. know, Get Shorty. Um, yeah, but, seventh, yeah. eighth, ninth down on the. I mean, he had just was done back, Get Shorty. It's a yeah. really good. It was a really good one because he was, you know, yeah. What he he was the seventh or eighth on the on the call sheet and getting his ass kicked by John Travolta in a parking lot. Yeah, I mean, I remember I saw True Romance and the scene where like he's in Patricia Arquette's motel room. I just said, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Like he yeah. had, yeah, yeah, you know, screen presence for days. But this was in, back in the day when HBO could do that, where they could build a right. show around two nobodies. In yeah. him and Edie Falco, and I mean, Edie Falco's a real Bracco, nobody, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was looking, because you know, Lorraine Bracco obviously had the iconic sure. role, right? So, yeah, a little, I, she was probably kind of the the biggest name at the time. Yeah, uh, Edie Falco had done nothing. Like well, she'd and, been on and, Oz. That was it. Yeah. Wasn't uh, wasn't Lorraine offered Carmela, and she chose Melfi or something? To that no, effect? I okay. no, I. That's one of those myths that went that <laughs> okay. Chase kind of shot down. Is like okay. no. I've heard a million people say that. I don't know where it comes from. I never okay. wanted her okay. for that. But what I what, what yeah. I was getting at with with Gandolfini and with where HBO was at the time, these smaller budgets. And you, Phil, you remember even when we were at ETA in 0506, HBO was was the second choice, the third choice. You didn't really want to go there. You were getting paid less. You're working with, you know, with with smaller budgets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this show and uh, a lot of the early HBO shows and a lot of the early FX shows um just just are so inspiring in that when you have your chance to shoot your shot shoot your shot so mm-hmm. everything about like every every decision they make and every casting choice they make and it, they're 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 so brilliant and bold and scary probably in the moment but mm-hmm. that's what made tv what it is today um but Ken, not to interrupt, but the funny thing is when, when I did my book, The Revolution Was Televised, about a decade ago, I interviewed like, everyone book. involved Great book. in Sopranos, and I interviewed Chris Albrecht, who is uh, yes. an unfortunate human being, but like was there at the time, was, at the founding yeah. of this. And like he, w- he was very open about the fact that with uh, Oz especially, but even with Sopranos, a lot of the decisions were made basically because like TV was not – original content was not a priority at HBO – at the larger company. And so it's like, well, let's try something. I don't know. Like, what if we only did 13 episodes? What if we just let him cast this nobody who had a good audition? It was sort of, and even David Chase, like a lot of the times, a lot of the things that seem kind of brilliant about the show, he's like, I don't know. I don't remember really thinking too deeply about it. We just sort of did it. it yeah. I, I, I mean, but even, you know, I was like, even the buttons on the scenes, the yeah. buttons on the scenes are the kind of things you would yes. never do, but they're so funny. Even but they're the just of episodes sometimes aren't. I mean, like this was a show that I I vividly remember watching back in the day, and the t- and when the when the final credit would come up, right, like black screen, whatever, and it'd be like, really? Like you have to sometimes you really did have to grapple with what was the show saying by ending where it ended. 
And I don't think I, as a viewer up until that point, had ever really had that before. You did. You know what I mean? No, like, yes. like you, you just didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, 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 it's, it's now it's common. And I, and I, I really can't stress enough how crazy that was as a viewer at the time, because it challenged you as a viewer mm-hmm. and TV was never a challenging medium before that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It just wasn't. No, it, it really wasn't. You, like, the audience was, we were told, they had a long day. They want to sit down. They want to relax. They don't want to have to think. Yep. Thinking is bad. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to tell them everything they're supposed to understand here. Yeah. And David Chase is like, no. Like, you know, I loved, like, the French New Wave films. I loved Blow Up. I loved seeing, yeah. you know, uh, Planet of the Apes and sort of arguing about what the Statue of Liberty meant. All these kinds of things. It's yeah. Like, that was his main bag. You know, he lo- Twin Peaks is, like, his favorite TV show. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I feel like, just because it sort of makes sense to talk about it very briefly here, but, like, the f- series finale of this show, as over-talked about as it is, is still so groundbreaking and breathtaking because it gives zero fucks about its audience. Yep. And I think that's, I think that's, I mean... I know that Kenny and I, and obviously you do too, Alan, think it's brilliant. But I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, it's it's so crazy to think about. I mean, you were at UTA at the time, right, Kenny? When it aired, when when the finale aired, or were you not? So six, summer oh six, oh seven, oh seven, summer oh seven. I was already at Entourage. Okay, because I remember the day after it premieres. Uh, David Chase was represented at UTA. I was working at UTA at the time. He was represented by Peter Benedict. He walks into the bowl and immediately says, I don't know what it means. Like literally to everybody. Like <laughs> spent, spent the entire day on the phone with people calling him saying, can you please explain to me what the end meant? I think that's fucking amazing. Oh my God. And, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yes. On the one hand, it gives zero fucks. Yes. On the other hand, as just like a piece of filmmaking, it's goddamn brilliant. Yes, like it's yes, so yes. well crafted. And that to me is kind of the the Sopranos in a nutshell. Like it's yeah. it's television made by a guy who hates television, <laughs> but it's really like great episodic television too. Right. Like it's just every all about the creative was really, really masterful. I love that. I, I I love the finale more than anything. Uh, I hate Pat finales. They bore the shit out of me. But that that's not even the point. The, the that was people 
look, I understand why people expected something different from this show. I understand why I understand why viewers of television who were ne- who were never confronted with this type of te- type of show and this type of ending were upset. Um, I don't understand why you know anybody would watch like White Lotus right now and be concerned about who's dying. I, I don't intellectually understand why sure. why sure. why at this point in our development as human beings, why people would care about that stuff. Like like it's some kind of fucking mystery box. But um no, I think the ending is perfect. I think the I think uh any debate around it is incredibly stupid. <laughs> it's, I can't I can't think of I can't think of a bigger waste of time. I feel like I feel like it's okay to say I I uh, I think I know the the answer to what happened. Sure, it sure. um it faded to it it cut to black and that's the end of the show. Yeah. So there is no fucking answer. It there is no I, answer. I and also just want to say too. I don't know about you guys, but when I watched it for the first time, the fucking tension. Of, oh yeah. Of of Meadow trying to parallel park and it's it's. It, but it is it's funny but it is i couldn't take it it was no. unbelievable it under the whole scene understands the assignment it wants <laughs> you to sort of be jumping out of your skin at every moment even though even though if you if you rewatch it carefully tony is not paranoid tony's having a fine old time at the diner he looks at the door just because it's a it's something you would do yeah, if you were at a diner and your booth was like facing the door yep, but it's yep. not like he's paranoid he's thinking yeah. anyone who comes in could kill me yep. he's having a great time we are not we're going crazy yeah it's 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 incredible and, and i mean the show does it many many times over through the run of its through the run of episodes i, I do think though and i don't know if you have insight into this alan is there a reason why david chase only directed the pilot and the finale Basically, he was too busy. He wanted to do it okay. more like he he always wanted to direct, you know, it was sort of a huge disappointment to him that he couldn't direct the Sopranos movie a few years ago to due to some family stuff. Right. But no, he wanted to do it. It's just, you know, the way he show ran was so all consuming that he did not have the time. That's interesting. OK, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it's just it did make me think about your podcast, Alan, of, of first and last episodes that you that you do, um, which yes. is great. And everybody should listen to it. Um, it would too be long an, didn't watch too long. Didn't watch. My apologies. Um, yes. I this would be an interesting one to do. Would you ever do it? Um, yeah. I mean, when, when we've gone out to like the celebrity guests, no one has picked it. Like we give them a list of potential shows. Sure. And I guess in most cases, they've seen it as part of the problem. Right, right, right. right. But yeah, this would this would be a fascinating one because like obviously like a lot of the conflicts are different. A number of like the mobsters that we care about are gone and the finale picks up with Tony sort of at the tail end of this war with New York. And so maybe that's difficult to follow. But at the same time, like it's still it's a family problem. The, the bulk of the final episode is what are we going to do with AJ? It's right, right. what direction is our idiot son going to take and how can we help him? So he doesn't wind up like becoming a helicopter pilot for Donald Trump or whatever That's stupid idea he has. That's among the different potential occupations yeah. he lists over the course of the I episode. I love AJ so much. AJ is <laughs> one of my favorite characters on the show. Is he? He, I, I, he is. I mean, there's, he has, first of all, it's, he it's, has it's one of my huge... favorite moments. He has my. I mean, he has the the moment that I think is 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 Robert Eilers. You know, I could have been a contender. Which is when he goes to stab Junior and he can't do it, and then he's in the parking lot with Tony, and he just he can't even throw up. He just drives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I say that AJ is one of my favorite characters because he's so inept, and and there's something so 
uh, I don't know, emblematic to some degree. I, I do. I mean, obviously, it's an enormous cast of characters. You ever see, and you ever see multiplicity? Sure. Alan, you've seen multiplicity? A million years ago. Yes. Great, great flick. Sure. So he, Michael Keaton, you know, he uh, he clones himself twice. Mm-hmm. And then, yes. the clones, then the clones decide to clone himself. And that fourth clone comes out really wonky. Yeah. So I think I look at it like Tony is a is a clone of Johnny Boy, and he's not exactly Johnny Boy, and he's a sure. product of his environment. But Tony, but AJ is a clone of Tony, and he's just, he, he's just a disaster, <laughs> right? He's he can't even yeah. AJ can't even function. That's his whole thing. Like AJ <laughs> is so his his genes, his nature, and his nurture are so unbelievably fucked up that he can't even begin to function in society. And I love that about him. Yeah, no, I, I think that's incredible. it's really bold writing. I'd be really ner- I'd be really upset if I was David Chase's child. But well, I I really I just, love when that I love that choice idea. of making AJ not want to be his dad or I- incapable of being his dad like that. That You know what I mean? The, the easy choice would have been just to make you know, Tony Jr. Of course. Right. Of course. Like, yeah. so yes, it's, it's, it's just so great that he's of course. Not. Yeah, and then you see a little bit of it with like Jackie Jr. Um, you know, you get that little thing, which is pretty powerful. I love that run, yep. but uh, yeah, it's 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 a crazy move to make AJ f- f- like the worst version of Fredo. <laughs> he, he really is. Uh, I I have to ask you a question, Alan, and it's kind of an impossible yes. one, but I'm sure you've been asked it before, so maybe you have an answer. Do you have some favorite episodes? Do you have episodes that jump out at you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> White Caps, which is when Carmela kicks him out of the house. Like mm-hmm. just the the acting duet between Jim and Edie is fantastic. Incredible. Long term parking, the last Adriana episode, obviously incredible, tragic. Um, college. I mean, I, you're sort of sounding like a basic, you know, when you pick college, but like that's the show when The Sopranos becomes The Sopranos. Oh God! I mean, there, there's a is lot. That, so college is the one when he kills the guy, correct? This is yes, the he, kills, he kills he kills Febby okay. on the college tour right. with Meadow, and it was this big deal because, like, he like Protects A, hadn't seen Tony people. kill somebody before, yeah. but B, television show main characters were not supposed to murder people, or if they did, the people they were murdering were absolute monsters. Like you know, Magnum PI guns down like this KGB torturer guy, and that's okay. But this was not that. Well, so the show in, in its first season, it wins writing for college, right? College is yes. the episode that it wins and Edie wins. Am I, is that, is that correct? Uh, Jim definitely didn't win the first year. I think, I think you may be right about Edie. Yes. Yeah. Edie wins. Yeah. Uh, it's nominated for obviously for, for everything else you can imagine. But those are the two things it wins in season one, which I do think is interesting. Um, it, it, it the, the, I don't, I mean, listen, college is a great episode to get me wrong, but to not give it to the pilot's kind of incredible to me because the pilot's amazing. Yeah, I, I get it. Although I, it does feel like a lot of the time Emmy voters kind of default to the pilot in this sort of thing. So I, yeah. I like the fact that in I'm this case, I'm a big case, fan of not giving college. it to the pilot. Totally I, get that. I, the pilot's almost never the best episode. I think the pilot's great. Sure. And I think it does some things like, look, I I think his relationship with his mother is as revolutionary as killing Febby. I think that that have that yeah. antagonistic relationship with the main character, his mother, where where they they truly deeply hate each other, um, uh, is I've never seen anything like it. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it since. Um, you so that hate each other. 
They well, I mean, that's you know, that's really the crux of the first season and change of the show. Um, Alan, is it true that that's emblematic of David Chase's relationship with his mother? It seems that people have have expounded. I on mean, that it's, idea it was it. certainly in. It was inspired by it, you know, and he said that, like, maybe over the course of the show, he obviously, like, exaggerated things. And I don't think, like, Mrs. Ditch's RA actually at any point attempted to have her son whacked in the same way that Livia did. But definitely, like, I mean, the, the, the gem of the show, the germ of the idea was him always telling his friends stories about his mom until one day, like, I think his wife, Denise, says, David, you should just write a show about her. And originally it was going to be like, you know, the main character was a screenwriter and Chase realized nobody's going to want to watch that. But if he's a wise guy, that's a show. Yeah, I I, I, I couldn't conceive of someone coming up with that, having not lived it, if you know what I yeah. mean. No, 100 percent. You know, I, so- I'm just looking at the at the episodes that won for writing just for what it's worth over the yeah. years, which I do think is kind of interesting. Um, in season three, it's employee of the month. Uh, yep. uh, green and brown. Oh, that's a good one. That's the one where that oh, that's where the one where Melfi yeah. gets raped and and they uh, yeah that's really yeah, a, although geez we're talking we're talking episodes and I didn't even name Pine Barrens. Okay, that's right. That's yeah. a fail by me. Okay, well, keep but, it going. Uh, again, you know, an incredible season three has some obviously some incredible. I mean, this show has incredible episodes across the board. But Employee of the Month is one that I've always has just really stayed with me for obvious reasons. A very harrowing yeah. episode. But I think what's a what has always stayed with me is that she refuses to tell Tony like she refuses yeah. to use him as as revenge but that's that's a really fascinating case of again as much as the show wanted to challenge the audience the audience was not ready to be challenged because i remember throughout that year every single week people were like when is she going to tell him about the rapist when is she going to tell him about the rapist maybe that's going to happen in the finale like people keep assuming that's what it's going to be as opposed to looking at the way the episode ends she says no, no. Cut to credit. Yeah. That is the end of that story. It's, I mean, I think there's one other time where like, I think she sort of thinks about him, but that's it. It never like, she is never going to tell Tony Soprano this thing about herself. Yeah. It's, I mean, th- that's what makes it so powerful. I don't want to see, I don't want to see some fucking like, well, it's not a matter of the guy. And it's not know. a matter of if you want to see it or not. He does things with the whole series that you don't want to see. True. Yeah. It's like the really, next it, episode is the stripper gets beaten to death in the Bing right, parking lot. Right. I did not want to see that. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 more of a matter of it would have destroyed Melfi's ability to to have those scenes with Tony and continue doing what she was doing. Um, but it what is interesting kind of in concept is that we know as an audience by this point in the show that Tony cares enough about her that he would have done it for her. Yes. Or nothing. Of course. She or he he consider he considers her family at that point, even if he wouldn't say that. And that to me is like really interesting at that point. So I I, I love it. I love that that you know because in the third episode, for instance, which I just saw and I mm. I think is brilliant. Is that um, that's not the no no the third episode is the, one with the, the motel. Yes, with the the motel, the motel on the Hasids, where you know Tony essentially is doing a job for a friend and is getting something back in return, Mm -hmm. and he's willing. You know, he he is in some uh, in some circumstances a gun for hire, just like all these guys are gun for hires. They 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 you know they they contract out jobs to other mobs all the time throughout the show, but Tony only would go after someone uh, on a personal level if it was somebody cares about. So I think that's really cool. I think it's I, I think it's 
the way he asks her at the end, like essentially like, can I help? Are you okay? Like, I don't know what the actual dialogue is, but it is quite to your point, Kenny caring. Like he cares about her. It's it's yeah. I mean, Melfi and his relationship goes through some weird ups and downs over the course of the series, obviously, but, <laughs> but it's uh it is fascinating just to, 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 uh, to round off this, this thing, uh, season four, white caps wins, also yep. Burgess and Green. Season five, as you can imagine, long-term parking. Uh, Terry Winter wins. Uh, and then season six is obviously uh, Made in America. But um, yep. yeah, it is it's it is interesting. I don't know. W- with shows like this, this sort of perennial show that goes on and on and on and is, is at the sort of the top of the, the food chain, what the Emmy voters decide to kind of latch on to tend to yeah. be pretty seismic episodes or oh, yeah. talked about episodes. Yes, what, the, 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 oh, but also, I think we could talk about Adriana real fast because yeah, I yeah. love Adriana. And I always, I always was kind of, uh, I always was kind of taken with the fact that she has one line in the pilot. And I don't think she's ever really intended, right, Alan, to be. Hostess, no, no, no. It was I just, was the name of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's the hostess. Um, I, 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 I think that at some point they realized after they made the pilot, Christopher needs a girlfriend. She should sort of, like he should be dating up more or less, so she's got to have some mm-hmm. level of glamour. And he remembered liking her line reading, Dre's line reading in the pilot, and said, "Well, what if it's her?" And then they throw in a line in like the next episode or two where she just mentions in passing, like, "Thank Tony for getting me that hostess job." Mm-hmm. Um, by, even though she and, looks and by, completely different. And by the third or fourth episode, she's you know a very important part of the show. <laughs> I mean, when Chrissy thinks he's going to get whacked, she's like ready to move to Florida with him. Yeah. So it's it, it's really it's re- her arc throughout the five seasons she was on the show is incredible, and it, you kind of see it over and over again with the show. You certainly you certainly see a lot of villains like Ralphie getting whacked. Yeah, but you see a lot of people who are like veering towards the light, and they get whacked, and that's very depressing too. You know, yeah, she's, it's she's not a, a show with a lot of hope. No, I mean, she's, uh, you know, when does she, when is she first approached by the FBI? Uh, they set up the idea at the end of season three okay. with Feruza Balk, who was then fired and recast and they reshot like her one scene oh, wow. um, for yeah. some reason. But yeah. season four is when Lola Glaudini is the new actress is approaching her and brings her in and she throws up in like the FBI conference room and all of that. And they're just, they put her in this impossible position because she's basically too naive to realize what she's supposed to do here. It's, it is when that shoe drops and when the FBI comes into her life, it's, I mean, listen, it's a foregone conclusion, right? Like on some level, you're, you've got to say to yourself, like it's, it's a 50 50 shot here. She either yeah. somehow is able to navigate this minefield and survive or die. And you know, in your mind, the more likely scenario is she's going to get whacked. And yeah. it's no, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I like, I, I know you, the, the, so much of this show to me yeah. is hoping and praying that Chris sees the light. Like that's like that that is that is that is to me that is the 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 fundamental wish you want throughout the show and hopefully this thing at this moment is going to be the thing where he's like fine bridge too far. But all right but I I want to I want to interrogate that for a sec Kenny because this is interesting. You're hoping for this and I'm not saying you're wrong to hope for this but like over the fir- first few seasons you see Chris murder people, you see Chris like beat up sure. people. Chris is awful and yet like there's this hope for him and it reminds me that um I was at the season 
whatever the season is where one of the one of the subplots in the premiere is that Paulie keeps sticking Christopher with the check at dinner and Christopher gets madder and yeah, madder about yeah. it. And they, then finally they're at some dinner and they like wind up stiffing the waiter for a tip. Is that when they beat the shit meal. out of the guy? They murder in him. In the parking lot? They murder him. Yeah, okay. The waiter comes out to like basically demand a tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paulie yeah. throws a rock at him. He, the guy starts having a seizure yeah. and so they kill him. And I was at like, and I went to the premiere party and afterwards I'm like waiting in line at a bar and some woman says, well, what, what did you think of the premiere? Um, and I, I asked her what she thought. She said, well, I don't know. I don't like that Christopher's still shooting heroin. He's such a nice boy. <laughs> I'm like, nice boy. He and Paulie just murdered that waiter. And she says, yeah, but the waiter asked for it. He was talking back. Like there's well, sort of this way, like you sort of you get really Stockholm syndrome with these characters. Everybody without does. question. People yes. get people people got very deep into their, you know, fucked up psyches in a weird way. Um do but you think yeah. has anything to do with it? I think that's how he got the role. But no no, no. Oh you mean uh, oh you mean yeah. in terms of why we love him? Do you, I don't I, know I, it's just, I'm just speculating. I don't, I don't think know. Spider I don't think Spider has to do. I think Imperioli's, no. you know, are you but, like a unique, a uniquely brilliant actor, uh, in in this particular role. I think the fact that he is, yeah, you know, I, I think I think everything they do. You know, he's the only mobster you really get to know from the beginning who's not made. And I think yeah. there's, I think that's a big part of it, which is he's on the outside looking in. He's the little brother who has dreams of running with the Sopranos crew. He's willing to do everything he can to get their, to, 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 to get their attention. You've seen like what essentially is within the context of the show, a functioning relationship yeah. with Ariana and I mean, with Adriana. And you hope that I really, I remember very clearly because they, they lead you down an alley in long-term parking. You really don't know. I mean, I I know everybody in retrospect is like, of course she was going to. I didn't know. I didn't know until she was in the car with Silvio that that's what, that's what was going to happen. So or at least I was I praying. That. I mean, if I'm being honest, I kind well, of. Silvio doesn't kill a lot of people. So that was right. a surprise too. Yeah. I, it, that and also they kind of do the, they do the, obviously the psych out of thinking that she, she got away. And I genuinely thought she got away <laughs> so that was but just one, me but once you cut delicious. from her alone in the car to her with silvio yes. obviously even <laughs> if like, he doesn't kill her he's bringing her to someone who's gonna kill her yeah it's it's it's, it's yeah I, I on the christopher thing i also just want to to unpack that a little bit too kenny in terms of how he dies you know which oh, is obviously worst. it's 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 awful but at the same time i mean <laughs> tony looking at the car seat it's just sort of like, yeah, this guy fucking sucks. He's not. He's not a good. He, like, he's never gonna be a, a, a good person. I don't know. Like, he's, he's never gonna be a good mobster. Well, that's like, true. that's, that's why he killed Tony. Wasn't like Tony wasn't the fuck. He wasn't condemning him to hell because he he just he, he was like this guy was never gonna be the guy. He's he's never again going to be the guy who I need in my life. But also, he's a threat to me because he's unreliable because he's yeah. a junkie. He cannot kick the heroin. And sooner or later, he's going to get picked up and he's going to talk and it's going to be a headache for me. So he's got to die. Yeah. 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 It. Yeah. It's uh was yeah. that the Kennedy? I, it, was that Kennedy and Heidi? Kennedy and Heidi. Kennedy, yes. And uh, Matt, Matt likes name. to say that Matt likes to say that the scene right after the accident is kind of the Rosetta stone for the show where you see these two girls and one of them is like, you know, Heidi, we got to go back. I can't Kennedy. I'm on my learner's permit after dark. <laughs> and again, it's, it's like, it's classic Sopranos of you have people who have the opportunity to do the right thing 
and they do not out of self-interest and out of choosing what is easier for them again and again and again and again. It's, I mean, it's, it is one of those shows where like, I mean, obviously we could talk about this for hours because there's just so much there. It's so rich. I mean, I, I, I genuinely find myself, I've rewatched, I, I rewatched a bunch of it during the, the pandemic. Um, and I texted you during that, Kenny, because I was just like, you hit play on this thing and you're just like, how did it's a miracle? It's a miracle. It's this perfect, wonderful thing that I mean, truly think about how many shows exist because it exists. I mean, we're 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 so lucky that it happened. And yet at the same time, David Chase kind of would have been fine with adding 45 minutes to it, having it a can and I don't know, getting an overall somewhere else. Just it's kind of amazing. Yeah, no, he's Not he's so dismissive. I remember like one time I was talking to him about the fact that like the show changed a how we thought about television, but just like the notion of like TV as art. Yeah. And he basically said, like, yeah, but I don't I don't really know what's like better about this than a movie version. I guess you get to spend more time with the characters. Incredible. Like even he refuses to see what this he's whole, doing. This whole generation. Mm-hmm. of people who fell into TV because they felt like they couldn't either wait out the movie system or 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 hack into the movie system and made the best TV ever made and all hate it it's like i mean, even you know look i'm i'm obviously massive disclaimer i am not comparing entourage to sopranos yes, sure, sure, sure. but i would i would every, hang up the zoom call if you did <laughs> but every but but there was a refrain in the writers room which was we're making half hour movies we're making half hour movies uh, and that's everybody's like worst nightmare well, now I mean, i'm hanging up the zoom call <laughs> no but i understand why i understand why of course why you feel that way and why we all feel that way and i also kind of understand why they would say it and i think this ended right around when we moved out Phil. yep right around when we started our career i remember you know, it's oh four oh five. I came out planning, hoping to be a screenwriter because I'm a movie boy. And very early on, an agent friend of mine or a friend who would soon be an agent um, said, uh, oh, you should not be a screenwriter because uh, being a screenwriter is really hard. There's so few of you. It takes years and years and years to make movies. You should be a TV writer because, you know, things are getting made and TV is getting better and this and that and the other thing. And even as like a 21, 22 year old, I'm like, ugh, TV, like I have, I'm going to go write TV. Of course, you know, now you have a whole generation of people who grew up with quality TV and that's what they want to do. But the people about 10 years older than us, particularly drama writers, are almost all failed screenwriters. So I yep. think that, you know, it's failed screeners who are a little embarrassed to even be there and, ha- and and told themselves it's okay by saying I'm making half hour or hour movies. It's But it's, I mean, and then and we have the inverse of it, which is feature writers consciously working in, in quote unquote television in the sense of like, you know, well, that's, that's just, you know bad. what I mean? This is a whole other thing. But that's just a bad thing. But it is true what you're saying, Kenny. I moved out here. When I moved out here in 2005, I got a job at UTA. Specifically, I wanted to work in the MP Lit Motion Picture Literature Department. I wanted to work in the feature department. Three months of working at UTA, I was like, there's no 
career path. There's no trajectory. It's like I, I you know, it's certainly it's, not a sane one. Certainly not a sane you one. Know? So yeah. I was like, maybe that maybe television is the way to go. And and you know, obviously, um, I I do feel incredibly lucky that I get to do it. But but it should be said too, Kenny. Looking at like the development of this pilot, for instance, is such a a, a, a you know an anomaly. You've got. He basically from Lloyd Braun was David Chase's manager at the time. He signs a development deal with Brillstein Gray in 95 to write this pilot, which yeah. in and of itself is sort of, I mean, not really a pathway in the same way that that obviously we see today. It's it was just sort of this, it feels a little bit like a random pilot he wrote and was just like, I guess I'll do this. He took it around town, he took it to yeah. CBS. CBS like didn't want Tony to be in yeah. therapy. <laughs> he took it. Yeah, you know, he took it to Fox. They're like, "Well, we've got to deal with Anthony LaPaglia. Could he be Tony?" You know, he sort of. Oh he took it around town, and, and that was finally, the thing it was almost LaPaglia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and finally, it wound up at HBO. You know, basically because HBO, as I said, like didn't didn't really know what they were doing, and said, "All right, let's try this." So one other thing about David Chase that, like, God love him, was fifty four when this got made. Yep. Do you know how fucking old that was in 99 for a tv writer (laughs) that was a thousand a thousand like that's truly crazy to me he had to be thinking i mean listen obviously you know for people that david chase worked in television for many years yeah it was a rockford files uh, night stalker rockford files northern exposure i mean the guy was a was a journeyman in terms of working on a bunch of different he was a showrunner on on northern exposure he created a show called i'll fly away which i've never seen and he did not create he did not create it he he show ran it for a while the show he created was almost grown with tim daly Okay. I'll fly away is the least like the Sopranos of any show ever made. <laughs> it's very inspiring about the civil rights oh. era yeah, south. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean it's just it he he did win uh two Emmys previous to to the Sopranos, one for on uh, the Rockford Files and then one for a television film off the Minnesota Strip, which I don't know, but I guess he won an Emmy for it. You know, I, I, I just think it's fascinating to your point, Kenny, 54 years old, you know, what I would assume the industry thought was a guy who was over the hill like this was never going to happen without question. Right. And then he just changes the entire fucking game. I mean, now, <laughs> I mean, no, for real, like now writers. Yeah. I mean, not, now writers right into their 50s, 60s have, sure. you know, a lot of these people who were coming up then. Coming up in the in the late nineties, early two thousands, like that's that's certainly expanded. But you know, Phil, because we were at UTA. If you weren't David Chase, if you weren't, you know, um, who are the other big ones we had? If you weren't, you know, Alan Ball. I mean, Alan Ball. Alan Ball was even young. I mean, there were like a few, like there were a few lions who stuck around. But for the most part, if you were over fifty, if you were over fifty, you were done. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it, it it was I don't know. It it, it just feels like Tom Fontana was, was who I was thinking of. Yes, but yes, exactly, yes. Exactly. yes. Like a Tom I mean, Fontana kept making yes. shows. Stephen Bochco kept making yes. shows, but you're talking about, you know, the fucking biggest and best writers of all time. Yeah. Uh it, it's it's crazy to think how much of sort of the tip of the spear this show was, not just creatively, but also just in terms of changing the game to your point, Kenny, as to when you can make a show, you know, when, when you can get out there and still do something like this. I do have a, a, a one last question for you, Alan, as we wrap this up, because I, I'm curious as to whether or not you have thoughts on this and whether or not you've gleaned this from David Chase in your many uh, interviews with him. Uh, what do you ultimately think he was trying to say with the series? Like, do you think he had a thesis statement? 
I mean, I think that like resignation, it was sort of looking at the state of his life, the state of life in America, the state of life in the world and saying like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we, why are we doing this to ourselves, to each other, to the planet? You know, I mean, there's a lot of environmentalism stuff in there too, in terms of the waste management and the asbestos and everything else. And I mean, the unfortunate thing about both the great and unfortunate thing about the show is that basically everything he was saying turned out not to be cynical, but turned out to be accurate. Yeah. And you only have to look at like the last six, seven years of American life to know that. No, absolutely. I mean, the show was incredibly prescient um, and, and, and really did understand sort of the, the, the plights or the plight of this country, this planet um, and, and of, 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 being a person like Tony, you know what I mean? Of of being yeah. someone who uh, we, um, we didn't we did talk about we didn't talk about Meta either, but that uh, the the yeah. it's one one of the best portrayals and one of the best depictions of a teenage girl you'll ever see. Absolutely, a teenage girl who can't wait to go to Berkeley and get away from her family. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and then she goes to Columbia instead because the show needed her. Well, also because <laughs> I mean, true, but also yeah. because those people do generally stay home yes you know like it is like that's i think that i think it does thematically fit with the you know take with with the whole show to me the whole show is these people always take the deal the deal being the devil's bargain they always take the deal i have a question for you alan yes if i had a sight and sound list and i put sopranos on it (laughs) would that be an acceptable choice artistically and would I get uh, lambasted on uh, Twitter because there is some motherfucker who, who put David Twin, Lynch's who put Twin Peaks the return yeah. on it. So if if I Fuck put that guy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're saying you're saying hard no. Yeah. yeah. Again, I just talked about medium? this. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is an episodic television show. It's not a goddamn movie. What are you doing over oh. here? It's, it that. is amazing. Who's the how... guy who puts Twin Peaks the return? I don't know. I don't. I it do always drove so. me nuts too that 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 there's one television show in the history of the medium that everyone decided is actually a movie. <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy because like they're all TV shows except this one is actually a movie. Is it? Well, the funny thing about the, the about Twin Peaks the return is it is episodic. Like it's so clearly episodic. And yes. I don't even mean just in the way that it was distilled in terms of the way that we watched it. I just mean in the terms that like this was not a a 12 hour script that was chopped no. into pieces. This is no. the episode where Dougie Jones does this. Right. This is the epi- this is the right. black and white episode with right. like the woodsman, yeah. Yeah. you know. I, it's just it's so clear to me that this was was uh, delineated it's, it's, that way it's, it, it's, crazy. it's, it's crazy. childish it's so yeah. childish it's the equivalent of it's the equivalent of the of the people who are like i don't watch tv but i watch the simpsons i mean yeah, go fuck like, yourself okay, cool. you know right yeah all simpsons was and can be great from time to time but i oh the simpsons that, is yeah. great that's not my point yeah. my point's the yeah. exact opposite is that there's this one thing that rises to my level sure, of sophistication sure, 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 sure. yes you know sure. there's this oh, oh i watch one masterpiece theater but that's not that's Television. My <laughs> right, level right. of sophistication, right? right. No, hundred percent. I, I mean, listen. This was uh, obviously Alan a blast to have you on to have you talk about this. You were, you know, there was no question that you needed to be the guy to come on and talk about this with us. We're so grateful to have you uh, 
unpack the show for the millionth time with somebody well, look, I'm sure, I, you know. I just like that uh, people doing a podcast about pop culture in the year 1999 remembered to do an episode about the sopranos because i was worried it was going to end without it oh there was oh, no. no question we were going to do it we it wanted to do the whole, we wanted to do the whole season but we did, um but it was just but, I, you know life got in the way yeah it, Al, I mean, Alan, I think I've told you before. You're one of my true heroes, and you've made you've you've made you've made my life better in uh, in ways you'll never understand. I mean, truly, so many. I mean, I mean, so many many of us people who love television have you to thank. But I'm aware of it, so thank you, <laughs> Kenny. You are very very welcome, and you can pay me back by telling all of your listeners to purchase. The Soprano Sessions by Alan Seppenwall and Matt Zeller sites still yes. available wherever fine books are sold. It and, is and it Alan's is previous books too. He's he's never written anything bad. He's never uh, written you, anything bad. You know that no. really. You know what I, I really do love is you. Mm. I mean, because I love the Revolution uh, was televised, yes. and the fact that you started with Oz made me go back and watch all of Oz, uh, and that was rewatch. I don't think I ever would have done. So, and I would say I, I never watched that in its entirety, beginning to end. I watched episodes here and there. So that was really a uh, very, very, very helpful because I do. It's obvious. I agree with you. That's where it started. Yeah. Well, and I would, I would strongly advise any of our listeners who love television, want to work in television, read that the revolution uh, was televised. It is. I mean, it's unbelievable what you were able to sort of do in terms of seeing the whole arc of of so many brilliant television shows. It also makes me sort of wistful for that time in television because I feel like right now we're in some sort of I don't know what. There's a lot of great TV out there. Are you going to write two? Are you going to write a, Are you going to write, write another one? The, I've, was, I, I, we've talked about it, like maybe doing like the basically the streaming era. The revolution yeah, was say, streamed. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but part of it, that. part of that would be frustrating because I feel like one of the great things about doing that book was most of like the important shows and the big shows were the same shows. Right. Whereas I think in a lot of the streaming era, it's kind of going the other way. So like you can have something like game of Thrones, which is both mostly great and very important. And you can have something like walking dead or Ozark or whatever that are big, but I think mostly not that great. So, well, I also feel like, I mean, there is so much content now, Alan. Yeah. You'll go fucking crazy trying to cover it all. And also, and also, unfortunately, there would have to be an entire chapter about Louis, and I do not really want to write about Louis or Louis C.K. That's fair. So, yeah, Yeah. that that in and of itself may keep me from doing it. That's fair. That's fair. But you've written amazing books. Your podcast is great. Everyone needs to follow you on. You have a new. Do you have a Substack or you have something? Oh, yes, like uh, that? my Substack is alanseppenwall.substack.com. Just Google my name. It's I'm the only person with that name in the world. There's only twelve people with the last name, <laughs> be, thanks to a Canadian immigration official with a weird sense of humor. Um, so yes, <laughs> yes, I, I, I'll, t- I'll tell I, you the story I, another I, time, I, Phil. <laughs> I too am a. I think Phil probably also. We we are we are unique name people. So we are unique. I like that. So Only, everyone good. with my name is related to me. But Alan, honestly, you're a very busy guy covering all yes. the television in the world. So we appreciate you taking the time to come on. I was here. not going to allow you to have Emily or some other such person <laughs> was, on to talk about the Sopranos. <laughs> it would have been, no. been Emily. It would have been Emily. So. Emily can go to hell. You know, <laughs> it was it was you. It was you or Robert Eiler. So that was, that was it. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Alan. We so All appreciate right. it. My pleasure, guys. You take care. Right, Congratulations on everything you've done with the show. Oh, thank, thank you. you. We appreciate it.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.